Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Pachuto, and I'm very excited to have my dear friend, the one and only Madeline Derzinski on with us today. Maddie, how you doing, my friend? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing so well. I'm so very excited to have you on the podcast today. Can you give a uh, quick introduction to the listeners and who you are? My name is Madeline Derzinski. I am an Angelino. I take pictures for a living. Um, usually of fashion, sometimes of products, and I've journeyed through many different things in my career of photography, but, um, yeah, that's where I'm at now. <laughs> Love it. Uh, how long have you been a photographer? Basically my entire life. Um, yeah. I got my first camera at like 10 years old and it was a disposable for Christmas and that started uh, a love of photography. Oh my God. I love that. I, it's so funny when my parents sold their house. I've told this story a thousand times, but I, uh, I found a whole bunch of just like, you know, 33 by five prints that I had as a kid. And my mom was like, oh yeah, yeah. We, you used to make us go to the drugstore and get you like disposables, like multiple times a week. And they were like, what the fuck is this kid taking pictures of? <laughs> but like, it's so funny because it's like, it, I should have known or they, or someone should have told me when I was little that this was like something that I was into. <laughs> totally. Like, uh, I think the first like pick I think I still have them actually they are like little four by six prints of my grandma holding this puppet that she used to call Merlin <laughs> and it's like a little like uh wizard looking puppet and I've got at least 10 pictures disposable camera photos of her holding this and then I've got pictures of my brother like tearing it apart <laughs> That sounds very much like my experience of being a brother and a young person. So that tracks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously you're, I know you fairly well, and your career in photography didn't always start in sort of the journey that you're in now working as a full-time freelancer. Um, but tell me a little bit about your journey, like through high school, through college, and into now your working career as a full-time freelance artist. Well, I mean, I guess my journey with photography started early on, but I, I sort of pushed it away. Um, and that is because I felt like there was expectations of me to be a certain kind of photographer because I have a family member, my grandfather, who was a fashion photographer in the 1950s and 60s. And there was expectations from my family that, you know, I would follow in his footsteps and have work that reflected upon him. Mm -hmm. um, so it took me a while to come into photography as something that I wanted to do as a career. I did the photo class in high school and I liked it and I had a good time and I made black and white prints and then I sort of lost it for a while. Um, I started majoring in political science and I really wanted to go the route of using the voice that I have to stand up for um, different activist like organizations and I wanted to work in, in social justice and I did that for two years in college before I realized that that was going to lead to burnout really quickly yeah. and at the same time I was taking um, another darkroom printing class so clearly there's like a pattern here something that I was I was liking these darkroom printing classes and I got all of the accepted all the acceptance letters that there could have been from all the colleges that I applied to for transfer. Mm -hmm. 
And I immediately decided that none of them were going to satisfy this need to be creative. So I turned them all down and stayed in community college mm-hmm. um, and pursued photography. I was like, I, I think that there, that I could make something of this. I had been in a um, like guest speaker situation where this guy was talking about how much money you can actually make being a photographer. And I had been told my whole life this narrative of like, you'll always be a starving artist if you pick this this career. Mm-hmm. And to a certain degree, yeah, I'm I'm hungry now. Because <laughs> 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 I I won't have to be hungry for too long because I realized you can like actually make money doing this. Mm-hmm. And um, that was sort of me making the decision, no, I'm going to pursue this thing that might not work out in my favor and let go of the expectations that there might be of me and just make stuff that I like. And if it goes somewhere, it goes somewhere. And if it doesn't go anywhere, well, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair, even at a a young age, you have a number of accolades in your belt, right? You know, you've shot covers of magazines. You've done some pretty impressive things for, you know, a relatively young human being. I mean, that's got to be sort of, proof in the pudding sort of you know right it feels like it um somebody told me when i was trying to decide what i was going to do with my life um that in order to be successful in this industry you yes have to have talent but you have to have drive Mm -hmm. and that success within this industry is 90 percent hard work and 10 percent talent And he's like, I think you have the 10%, but are you willing to put in the work to make those things happen? And when you ask someone who's 18 that, that sounds really, really daunting. Mm -hmm. Um, But I very quickly learned that I've always had it in me to, to do the hard work. And I've always like sort of thrived in situations that are extremely stressful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just started doing it. So I was working awful jobs in the food industry. And then in like during the pandemic, I started working in COVID safety and all these things are, are not easy things to do, but simultaneously I was putting in time and effort and work into building a portfolio and taking more classes and trying to hone and master this craft that technically speaking is not necessarily easy to do. Um, but more so creatively, like trying to break out of the box and figure out how you create the things that you see in your brain. Um, that was really what I wanted to hone. And I think that's what I've spent the last couple of years doing. I love that. Um, I think the biggest, I have a couple struggles when it comes to my career. I think number one is that I think I've got the 10% talent. I think I'm missing like the 10% luck, right? Like what is that song? 90% do you know what I'm talking about 60% something whatever I don't know I'll remember it after we get done but it's like I feel like you know I've got the talent I've got the work ethic I work my ass off I'm just not doing it enough and that becomes sort of an inhibitor to my second problem which is like creativity so I think like because this career that I love and I adore and I could never pick anything else to do is at times incredibly feast or famine that in turn affects my ability to be unique and different and creative. Um, Do you find that to be a a similar experience for you as well? 
absolutely. I, people talk about, you know, selling out in this industry a lot and it's hard not to when the, the money comes from doing commercial work and doing stuff that's kind of boring and like that doesn't, isn't necessarily as fun. Like, um, I would work with a model and do really fun, like creative things over taking e-commerce pictures (laughs) any day, but that's not the reality of my, my job. I take e-commerce pictures more than I take pictures of people Sure, and it hurts and it kills me a little bit, but I also have had to carve out time for me to hash out those creative things or this isn't worth it anymore. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I think that's a really important distinction because if you don't have, I'm, I want to say like the, the security of doing the jobs you don't want to do so that you can pay rent, you can pay your bills. You don't have the luxury of doing and creating the things that you want. Exactly. And I think that that was like something that I, I didn't learn until I became a full-time freelancer. Um, as you know, I was let go from my job about six months ago, and that was sort of the thing that propelled me forward. I'd wanted to do this forever, and all I kept saying to myself over and over and over again was like, there's going to be a better time. There's going to be a moment where I have enough money saved up that I will have that safety net, and there was no safety net. It was never going to come around because when you're working these minimum wage jobs, you're in an endless cycle of being broke and working from paycheck to paycheck. And you just can't do it if you want to be a creative. Um, You have to work 24-7. You can't just, I'm going to work nine to five because I know working that nine to five was draining my four to nine. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to get enough done between the hours of, you know, five o'clock and nine o'clock for my business, for what I actually really wanted to do. So when I got, when I got fired, I was like, okay, I'm gonna take all this extra time and do stuff with it. (laughs) What am I going to do? I'm going to make TikToks and I'm going to like work on my website and I'm going to take one creative shoot a month and hope and pray that I get the other things that are going to pay the bills. Like, taking an event that maybe I, I don't necessarily want to shoot, but I have the ability to, yeah. or doing the e-commerce shoot for, for Amazon so that I can, you know, find a New York for New York fashion week. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think the, there's a couple things that I wasn't prepared, prepared for in the creative uh, field from a, from a career perspective was the downtime and making use of it to like develop personal growth from a work perspective. So whether that is like learning new techniques, learning new editing tools, whatever, learning more about my craft and developing my craft. So like that downtime has to be utilized, whether it's business developing, whether it is, um, you know, collaborating with other artists and finding other models to shoot with. Like there's a lot of in between time from, you know, if there's seven days a week that I can work, you're talking about two to three days of work per week average, and then you tack on an extra day or two of editing and stuff. I'm not that busy, right? I don't have yeah. so much 
you know, work that I have no free time and I have no ability to do anything. So to me, it was like figuring out a schedule that worked for me and like blocking out specific, uh, you know, points of the day, the week that I do certain tasks or otherwise I would just get lost in the sauce of, of doing none of them. Seriously. Yeah. I'm, I'm in that process of trying to figure in, trying to figure out exactly what that looks like for me too. Cause like, I, I definitely could find myself sitting on the couch for five days straight and not doing anything when I have stuff to edit. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, and it's all my personal stuff too. Like that's the stuff that ends up on the back burner. It's Always. not the stuff for a client. It's like the shoot that I did two weeks ago. Oh my God, that was a disaster. Anyway, <laughs> not the point. <laughs> the point is, is that I did this shoot and because the day was so like chaotic, I, every time I look at the pictures, all I can think about is the embarrassing, chaotic things that happened. <laughs> so I'm like, mm, maybe I'll just leave that to edit for a little later. <laughs> you know what's funny? I have, I think because I have just such unbridled joy and excitement when I take pictures that I don't care what it is of. Like, you know, you mentioned events. Like, I shot two events last week, which were like obviously things that I don't want to shoot. But they turned into like two really fun opportunities and and they were awesome. And I loved the people that I work with. I didn't like what I did, but I enjoyed the interactions with the humans so that I was excited to go home and sit down and edit that stuff. Like they're like, wow, can't believe you got this to us so quickly. And I was like, yeah, you know, I I just enjoyed the process of creating with you and, and doing this. And it wasn't. I wasn't shooting the cover of a magazine or I wasn't shooting a live show or doing anything that I would love to be doing. But at the end of the day, someone recently said to me when I was complaining about my work-life balance and at times the lack of work that I have, they were like, you got to put into place and put into context how lucky you are to have a career that is something that you love and how very few people get that. And if you start looking at the hard times as just a benefit of the work, then ultimately all of the stuff, even the bad jobs you don't want to do, end up being a net positive. Oh, 100%. I will complain every single time that my, the end of the month, like, is when I get five gigs in a row and I'm working every single day. And then I'll be like, but I didn't do anything for the first three weeks. <laughs> I'm like, I need to shut the fuck up, okay? Because yeah. people are every single day, ridiculous hours. And I have the privilege of being able to work, like, a few hours here and there, like legitimately like having to put on hard pants and walk outside kind mm. of work. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I do consider editing work, but at the end of the day, it is being done in a pair of sweatpants and you know, I'm not, it's Usually not the comfort of like my couch. Yeah, like right. I am, I'm not an editor at the table or at a desk kind of person because I haven't situated my desk the way that I want it to look. But like, if I can watch Grey's Anatomy in the background, I do not get to complain. <laughs> true. True that. Um, you know, it's funny because a lot of times I find myself being um, really struck by the inability for me to get new clients. And it's something that I am both weirdly accepting of, but also like wary of. And I think that's like one of the big sort of dilemmas that any creative has is like, how much do I push on this client to keep hiring me? And, you know, especially in the fashion industry, like when you work jobs with specific clients that you know have multiple shoots per week and can use you all the time, you want to be just like hitting them up, be like, hey, I'm free today. Hey, I'm free tomorrow. Hey, I'm free, whatever. And it's like that sort of catch 22 of like how to like manage expectations and also like really hammer home that like, hey, I did a really good job for you. I think it's time you use me again kind of thing. 
oh, I haven't run into too many situations like that yeah. where I have to actually like kind of hound them to work with me again. And I don't think that it's because of anything in particular. I send a, like an email every like week or so and I check in on my clients. Like I have an automated thing set that's like, hey, hope you're doing well. Would love to create with you again soon. Oh, automated automation <laughs> sounds like a automation sounds like a great tool for me to utilize. That sounds like it's fantastic. And you just draft something that is, you know, general enough. Yeah. That you send it to all of the clients on your list. And I check in with my clients for weird things. Like if they've given me their birthday, I'll send them a birthday text. Or if, you know, it's the holidays, I'll send out like a happy holiday like thing to anybody who signed up with me with their email or anything like that. Like I send out little things to make people think that I'm thinking of them. I think that's very sweet. And that tracks because you're just a genuinely wonderful human being. Um, I love that. Um, talk to me a little bit about um, your creative process and how it has sort of matured over the course of your career. Um, I'm a big fan of your work. Um, obviously, we met through the NFT space, which I don't know if it even exists anymore. Does it? Not sure. It's yeah, one. Of, it's one of those things that it's just it depends on the day. It's one of those creatures like occasionally comes back and is like, "I'm on fire! Look at me!" <laughs> and then he dies again. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the place where we met, so I'll forever cherish it for that reason. That being said. I'm a big fan of your work and, and the creativity that you put into your creations is I think unique to yourself. Um, but talk to me a little bit, how you've sort of, uh, created your artistic style. Where did it come from and and what like makes you want to be creative? I am generally a, a creative person and I've always done different creative things when I was like 10, I said I wanted to be a fashion designer and that quickly moved into like wanting to be a painter. And I've always done a variety of different creative things. Um, And I like for the things that I create to say something or to have a message that might not be obvious. Um, And if you like deep dive into my work and pay attention to little things, you might notice them and you might not. And that's okay. Um, And that's not directed towards you, but just being the Um, (laughs) My creative process started as me walking around and taking pictures of things. Um, Usually things that were mundane within my life. It started with me like, becoming obsessed with taking pictures of my food with my phone. And that was like in the early days of Instagram when that, <laughs> that all started and we were telling people everything that we were eating. Yeah. Um, it might, might've been a little bit that might've been a little bit of teenage eating disorder. I don't know. Oh, well, no. maybe, yeah. no. um, but I started becoming obsessed with that. And I was like, I really like how colors look on a plate. So I would like play with color a lot. And that's st- that is like a very true thing to my work now. Then when I got into black and white photography, I really liked light and shadow. And I started playing with lines and where certain light and shadow would hit my subject and or create a different background based on where I I situated them. And I think that that's still very true to my my work now. 
Um, but all these things sort of were ingrained in me at a certain point. And now I create without necessarily thinking about what the things look like, but how, what I want them to say mm -hmm. when they go to the world. So um, on a, a recent shoot, I worked with a handful of people and my team all had discussed that we wanted to do something 1970s related. And we wanted the photos to feel very free and we wanted them to feel bubbly and we wanted them to feel like they were actually taken in the 1970s. So how were we going to do that? How we, were we going to source the clothing? Did we want it to be things that looked like the 1970s or did they actually come from the 1970s? And like we played with all sorts of things before we got to no, we actually want this to be like super authentic. So we'll source like clothes that are from the 1970s. So we'll go vintage shopping and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but that's sort of how things come about now is like, I'll have an idea and I'll sit on it for a couple months until I can figure out how to make it look the way that I, I have it in my head. Mm -hmm. But the actual in-camera stuff comes naturally now yeah no i agree with that um i think my biggest inhibitor when it comes to the creative process is i, I would say like more than 90 percent of my shoots are done with women um and i think when as a male photographer in this space it's really important for me to be both respectful and collaborative when it comes to shooting and i want to mm. and even if it's a man it doesn't really matter male or female I want to come up with a conceptual idea and plan for a shoot. That's something that they want and I want, and then we can marry it into like a cohesive plan together. It's really hard for me to be like the sole creative force behind a shoot because I find when it's like, Hey, this is my idea. I want you to wear this hat and we're going to go to this street and we're going to go this time. And like the light's going to be like this. If the person's like, eh, I'm not really feeling it. You can like almost feel that in the images. And maybe that's just my big, dumb subconscious looking at it. Like I knew that they didn't want to make this stupid picture that I thought in my head was going to be awesome. Um, but to me, it's like I, I find that if the creative process is shared with other people, whether it's the, the person you're taking the picture of or a team, it makes it a lot easier for me to be free to sort of come up with a conceptual plan and idea um, and then make it actually come out the way it, I want. Um, and, and that's sort of what I love about your work because, you know, it, it is natural to me that there is story involved and the things that you're trying to say. And I would imagine everyone else who sees your work understands what you're trying to say and, and create as well. Um, so I have to give you your flowers for that as well, because, you know, as you're you know, not just as your friend, but like as a person who just admires you as an artist, I think it's a, it's a very cool, um, artistic approach that you have as a photographer. I think it's important that, you know, we use all of our communication skills as photographers um, to speak through an image. Mm. And you can see when someone is uncomfortable. You can see when someone doesn't really want to be doing the poses that you have them in. Mm -hmm. And I'm the first to ask people to bend over backwards for me, literally. <laughs> um, and you can see when I've done something where it's like, hmm, no, no, that like the model's not feeling it. And then because the model's not feeling it, I'm not feeling it. And those are pictures that don't end up anywhere. Yeah. Like you when know, you try to find something too hard, it 
you can tell it's inauthentic. I think the best thing that I enjoy, this is going to sound super dumb, but like when I'm on set and I'm shooting with someone and I'm like, oh, can you try this for me? And then, and I do it and then I look at it and I'm like, wow, that's terrible. Why did I think that would work? That actually makes me feel good because I'm like, I had an idea. It wasn't what I wanted. And then that's okay to be wrong on something that you think about. I think that's how you grow as an artist. That's like one of my favorite things that happens when you're like, oh, let's try this. And you're like, nope, that's dumb. I don't know why I suggested yeah. that. <laughs> and also my rule of thumb is like, if I can't do what I'm asking you to do, then you're not going to do it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I can't actually bend over and, you know, point my tippy toes in this particular way. I'm not going to ask that you do it. <laughs> okay. Well, I have shot a ballerina before. I can't do any of those things. That being said, they are still very pretty pictures and I would definitely ask them to do it again. <laughs> Okay, fair, but that's a ballerina that's like very different than asking like one of my models. Sure, sure. sure. Local yeah. right. So it's not a full carte blanche role, it's just like a suggestive role when yeah, I'm set. I mean, like, if I'm photographing someone whose literal like career is doing things that I physically cannot do. Like a circus act. Yeah. Good for you. Totally noted. Um I've found this creative journey to be like one of the most frustrating yet rewarding experiences that I think I could have ever asked for. I think the rewards dramatically outweigh any sort of uh, headaches and sadness that is encompassing of this career. Um, when you have bad days, when you have bad weeks, when you have imposter syndrome, how do you go about overcoming those feelings of negativity? Um, I cry about it first, and then I usually talk to the people that are in my community who also feel these same things. Like, I know, it's very comforting to know that I'm not alone. Um, I really try to hone in on my mental health and my well-being, especially after ignoring it for so, so, so long. Um I spend a lot of time self-reflecting and journaling and taking note of the emotions that I'm having, acknowledging them and then letting them pass mm -hmm. because so much of the anxiety that I feel in this industry, like the imposter syndrome, I know is completely created because I am my own worst critic. Mm -hmm. um, I spend hours and hours and hours sometimes looking at things uh, like one image I will spend hours looking at and thinking, oh my God, I didn't think about this one car in the background that I'm like, well, you know what? I was shooting in the middle of a city. I could not have controlled that one car. Would it be a better photograph? Would it be absolutely perfect if I had that one car out of background? Yeah, it would be. But there's nothing bad about this picture. Mm -hmm. Like nobody else is going to notice that car in the background. Yeah. The only person noticing it is me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think probably... I think being your own worst critic is sort of also a superpower because at the end of the day, it will push you to be better at your job. It will push you to have a more critical eye when it comes to your own work. It will at times be incredibly detrimental to your self-esteem. That being said, it can also be a good thing. Um, I've found that a, a wonderful lesson that I've learned is what amount of perseverance I can create for myself in a career like this. I think it can be a testament to someone in sort of any career. 
I get told no so many times and I get told no 10 times a day, hundred times a week, like a million times. And all of those no's are motivational to me to either change something about something that someone didn't like or try again. Um, I had the benefit of shooting this band um, probably like three, four months ago and their management team loved my my photos. They posted them on Instagram. It was great. And then they they represent another artist who's performing in the area in a couple weeks. And I've been hounding them to let me shoot the show. I was like, get me a pass. I want to shoot the show. Obviously, I've already shot XYZ for you. There's no reason why I shouldn't get the opportunity to shoot this other show. And they're like, we've already, you know, after not answering me for months and months and knowing that the show is coming, they get back to me yesterday and they were like, yeah, we've already got someone else shooting the show. And that to me was like the most biggest kick in the ass because I've already performed for them. And also a huge motivational factor for me because I want them to reach out to me again and me be able to say no because I've got to shoot somebody else, right? Like I want to make sure that all of my work that I do in this space here on out makes it so that they know that they made a mistake by not letting me shoot the show. It's one of those weird motivational factors that you could be told a million times in life, but that million and first time is the one that's going to set you up on the, on the next best thing. And I think that that level of perseverance that I've been able to sort of, uh, you know, achieve mentally in this space has been paramount to, to the future successes that I will have. Yeah. Every single no leads you closer and closer to a yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, that is true to most careers that are creative. Like I, I see it all the time when my friends who are actors and actresses and like, man, I, that's a career I could never do. The, the nose on like that frequent a basis would kill me, I think. <laughs> but, you know, I, I get my nose or I get my silence, which is more like it. And it's worse, it right? I, I would rather. Yeah. I would rather you tell me like, no, this is why you're not the right fit because then I can do something about it. Like, totally. I can, you know, alter the way that I'm, you know, approaching a situation or, you know, alter something within my work that maybe people aren't loving. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously, I kind of like that they don't tell me anything because then I am not influenced by, you know, the shit that they might think about me and keep creating things that are true to who I am. That's interesting. I would much rather be told no than ignored. I think it doesn't take much to respond to an email or text message or a phone call and say, hey, you're not right for this or hey, you're not ready for this. Because like I know I'm I'm only, I'm not even three years into my career. Like I know there are some things that I'm unqualified for doing, at least Mm -hmm. in the eyes of the community. Like I can't shoot the cover of Rolling Stone because I'm not qualified. And I don't know if that's true, but I'm just, you know, saying it out loud. That being said, I would rather be told no than completely and utterly ignored because it's like, how will I know if I need something to work on? How will I know if there's something that I could change if I'm just silenced? Talk to me a little bit about what your hopes and dreams are for your career. I think you've done and achieved so much in such a short period of time. And I know that there is obviously always going to be that sense of pressure from who your family member was and what they were able to achieve but do you have specific goals and dreams when you look back you know look forward excuse me in in terms of what you want out of your career I have lots of hopes and dreams and some of them I feel are unattainable but fun to like theorize about and then there are some that I'm like yeah this is 100% gonna happen 
Um, so much of the success that I've had has happened in like the last six months, mm-hmm. which to me is fucking crazy. And like this year has flown by the last two years have flown by and I keep, you know, doing things that I surprise myself with. So like, I hope and dream that I will continue to surprise myself in this way because it really has been unbelievable. Um, and then there are things that I'm like legitimately working towards. Like one day I'd like to be able to, to own a business where the things that I am doing creatively give back to the communities that I've come from Mm -hmm. being, uh, a queer person, being a woman, being a person of color, I'd like to be able to give back to these communities that are underprivileged and underserved and, you know, really don't get the arts education that I've been able to have from traveling across the country with my family and having my grandfather be who he was, um, having a mom that really loved art. Like there are lots of kids that didn't get to experience the same kind of love of art that I have. And if I could give them even some of the education that I received, uh, I think that that would be really important. Um, And also to bring up other queer artists, other queer female artists, particularly, like I'd really love to be able to have a gallery space where I curate art that is by these communities, have a darkroom space that I can teach uh, darkroom printing in to these communities for either low cost or completely free Hmm. uh, and have a studio space that then, you know, also makes money, but I can use for, you know, my, my own projects in the future. Um, I'd love to keep working on magazines and like to shoot the cover of Harper's Bazaar or Vogue someday would be insane. And I think that it will happen. Um, I don't think I'm ready for it now, but I think that it will happen. Um, and I don't know when I'll be ready for it, but I'm going to keep working and keep creating my art and keep pursuing the the creative things that I have in mind because I think they are unique and I think that I do have perspective that needs to be shared with the world. Um, and, you know, I'm just going to keep doing those things little by little as I have the opportunity to. Because yeah. luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So if I just keep working... Maybe that's the thing I was thinking of. (laughs) And doing the things and, you know, suffering when I have to and enjoying life when I can. Um, Those opportunities are going to come and I'm going to be ready for them when they do come. I really love that. Um, I don't know if this is going to be an easy question for you to answer, but do you think that because you have this selfless, altruistic way about yourself that in some cosmic sense, it built in the likelihood and capability of you being successful. Do I think that karma's real? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally believe in karma in that, you know, I, I hope that the work that I create allows people insight into my life and makes them feel a certain way when they see it. And I hope that when I do have the ability to give back in, you know, in more ways than just the things that I put out on the internet and like the hopes and the dreams and the, you know, all that stuff besides all that, when I can put my money where my mouth is, I hope that 
that comes back too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think, I think I, it's like, to me, you know, I've only made so many friends in the space, uh, in, in the NFT space in the short time that I was there and I'm fully out of it now for what it's worth. Um, and I think I gravitated towards people who have an immensely positive outlook, a wildly beautiful sense of, community and self and i think that there's a lot to be said about someone like yourself who's very mindful of the community that they're building and their dreams for that community and i think that's obviously naturally why we became friends because it's just easy for me to appreciate and cheer and root on for someone like you who has so much to give to their community so much to give to the world that it's like of course i'm going to be friends with this person they're fucking awesome and and i love that about you i really do i think it's it's just one of the leading indicators of, of, in my opinion, why there is no doubt in my mind that you're going to shoot the cover of Harper's or Vogue or whatever, because whatever you put your mind to, you're, you're going to accomplish. I appreciate that so much. And I do think that it's true of like the people that you curate in your life and like the conversations that we've had over the past six months as we've gotten to know each other through the NFT space. Like I, I understand the personalities that you're talking about when I see art that is worth supporting. I, I buy it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very easy in my mind to go. I don't care that this is going to live in my internet wallet that (laughs) no one is ever going to see. One day this might be worth something. And if it's worth nothing, it's worth, the money that I put into this person's pocket mm-hmm. that encouraged them to create something else. Yeah. And I think that, that is something that is so unique about the NFT space is that we are a group of artists mostly that are supporting other artists. And um, I love that. I love that I have made friends that will support me simply because they think that I'm going to be successful one day or that they like my stuff now and they're like, here, we'll give you 200 bucks for this thing that no one is ever going to see this little <laughs> JPEG of yours. Yeah. And um, that will help you create something else. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, that's awesome. <laughs> no, I love that. No, it's true though, because it, it also, it's like one of those things where like the, the future of social media is going to be a lot different than the way it looks now. And I think people who are able to develop a community around themselves, whether it's art based, whether it's music based, whether it's whatever based, those are the people that are going to win. And those are the people that genuinely want to see the people around them be successful. And it's to me just very indicative of the kind of person you are when you hear the things that you say. And it just very much aligns with your actions, which I find to be beautiful. Um, What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given from your photography career, whether it be from someone in your family, a uh, a fellow photographer, a model, an artist, whatever? What's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you? I think it was what I mentioned to you earlier about, you know, this career and success in in this being 90% hard work and 10% talent, because I really think that like so many people in the world are talented. There are so many, so many incredible people that have so much creativity, but if you're not willing to put in all the effort and all the time and the literal blood, sweat, and tears sometimes, you won't make it. You can't make it. And I think that if you are willing to put in all of that and you can still put a smile on your face and be like, 
a good person at the end of the day, that's going to get you all the success. Because people people like nice people. People <laughs> like to work with people on set that bring joy and you know, even in like the most awful moments on set can still turn around and like put a smile on someone else's face or make light of a situation that will win over everything. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree. I, I like to remind people when we're on set, it's like, we're just making pretty things. Like we don't have to pretend like we're carrying cancer. This doesn't have to be that serious. We're just having fun. Let's stop pretending yeah. like we're doing something crazy. We are just taking pictures. It's okay to have fun. <laughs> And, you know, I think that this is growth for me because I used to be that person that was like the most serious person. Really? Like, not get through doing a stressful thing without yelling. <laughs> and now I'll walk on set in my little like jumpsuit with my camera slung over my side. And I'm like, all right, let's get to creating something cool. <laughs> I fucking and love so, it. I'll kind of look at it like, wow, fuck. How do we fix it? <laughs> I find that surprising. I can't imagine you yelling at someone, but oh my god, I'll take your I'll take your word for it. Um, I think one other thing that I've struggled with a bit in my career is figuring out what success means beyond a financial dollar amount. Right? Like I think like the bare minimum of of success for me has been able to have a creative career and pay my bills and survive, and. While that's like step one, I think, of really anything that you do in life, the ability for me to measure success beyond that has proven elusive, and I don't know necessarily what it looks like to me today. I also think that's okay, but I don't know what it looks like. Um, how do you measure success for yourself? As of right now, I still think that I'm also in that first step of like financially being semi-insecure and hoping that, you know, success means that I didn't have to dig into my savings account this month to survive. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that that'll change as things get more consistent in my career and I'm working, uh, you know, four or five gigs a month, like that, that will inevitably be like, okay, well, what's next? Um, I think it'll be like, being able to do more of the creative stuff mm -hmm. on a more regular basis and yeah. being able to comfortably take a day of editorial work without and, and canceling comfortably on something else that I might be making money off of to take that, that mm -hmm. editorial, you know, doesn't pay anything, yeah. but truth but like is going to put my name on the cover of a magazine, yeah. even if it's not, that was the other thing that I, I had a hard time learning, like that the places that I, you want to be and the things that you want to do don't necessarily match up with the compensation that you would expect them to have. And that to me was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I had to quickly learn that one as I started taking on some of the opportunities that I took on this year. And I was like, yeah, these are really cool, but I'm not making any money off of them and that hurts yeah because it's not my creativity but it's my time my and my mentor gave me a really sound piece of advice and was like you know i was telling her about an opportunity i had to shoot with a modeling agency which is one of the top agencies in new york city and i was like i have to do this but it doesn't pay they're not paying test photographers but i know that like this will lead to it has to lead to something. They're the biggest of the big. 
And my mentor said something that I don't think I'll ever forget. It was like, how are you going to instill value to them when your job and your ability to pay your rent is predicated on being a photographer and you're going to give them that ability and those skills for free? And I don't think I'll ever forget that. And I think that it's very easy, especially in a creative career, especially when you're first starting out, to want to do a bunch of favors and do a bunch of shit for free because you think it'll pay off in the long run. And there are instances where that is the case. And those are case-by-case distinctions. But that being said, I am very cognizant when someone's like, hey, can you do X, Y, Z for me? And I'm like, yeah, but like it's going to cost. Like I, I I don't pull my camera out for free. This is my job. This is my life. When I think about doing collaborations now, I am way more aware of what that means for me in terms of what I'm giving up mm-hmm. and in terms of like, is this going to benefit me? And in what way is this going to benefit me? Because I, and I've, I've noticed that I've done this a handful of times. I really like diners. So I keep saying yes to diner shoots <laughs> And they're all different. They all look different. But now I've done three shoots in a diner. And I'm like, what am I getting out of this? What am I doing differently? Um, Is it that I'm testing a new lighting? Is it that I'm testing a new way to interact with my models? Is it that I'm testing what a new film looks like? I can't do the exact same thing the exact same way Mm -hmm. because it's just really boring. And I'm not actually benefiting from this, not financially, and I'm not benefiting from this as an artist. So as I go into com- into different collaborations, I'm like, okay, what skill am I going to exercise during this? Because I want to get better, mm-hmm. but you can't get better without practice. Mm-hmm. So my collaborations are now practice. Yeah. If if I'm going into the shoot, it's because I need to test what strobes look like outside. And I've never done that. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're doing today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really like that. I think there is obviously important context to all collaborations. I've got some models that I work with very frequently that I don't charge and they don't charge me. And we have a very good uh, sort of collaborative relationship that is just predicated on making art like if i haven't shot for a week or two i know there's people that i could hit up be like let's just go shoot because i haven't shot in a week and i'm fucking dying to take pictures and 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 i like a lot of what you said because at the end of the day there are new things to try and there are new ways to grow as an artist and those things are important to try out when it's not like (laughs) you know on a very high paid set where you're like oh fuck i can't screw this up Exactly. And I think that when you start freelancing all of the time, you forget to start trying new things because you're so uh, ingrained in doing the stuff that's making you money Mm -hmm. that you forget that you're like, oh, my God, I'm a creative person. And like, I want to exercise all these different parts of my creativity. Mm. So now I've started just playing. Yeah. And playing on the things that are going to be like high risk. But playing on the stuff that you know who cares if the role of film doesn't come out right yeah no I, I agree I think at the end of the day it's important to be able to grow and you can't grow without taking risks and you need to be mindful of when you take those risks it can't just exactly. be like you know on Don't a whim. Take risks on paying clients, yeah. okay? um 
talk to me a little bit about your relationship with social media and then to some degree video. Um, I am struggling mightily with my desire to put things on social media anymore for a long time growth on social media was the only thing I was focused on and I was posting three reels a day and I was posting a hundred TikToks a day and it became a job for me and in the last few weeks I've really burnt out by putting things on social media Um, but explain to me a little bit about your relationship with it and sort of how those platforms are all sort of migrating to a uh, video first um, sort of platform. So I grew up with social media. I was like a teenager when Instagram, I was in my early teens when Instagram became a thing and you could start posting about every single thing that you did in your life. And I think that I have a love-hate relationship with social media for that reason. Um, Personally, I have seen really, really negative growth sides of social media that I do not wish anybody (laughs) ends up there. But from an art perspective and from, like, the perspective of, like, a business, I find it necessary to be on social media and making as many videos and as many Instagram posts as I can because I think that it's the, like, the way that people find you Mm -hmm. now. (laughs) Gigi, she's so loud. (laughs) I can't hear it. I think that it's important that I I keep posting because clients do find me that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I get sometimes like 90 views on the same TikTok that I would post on Instagram and that Instagram will, that reel will blow up to 10,000 views. And I'm like, what the fuck? This doesn't make any sense. It's the same video. Why doesn't it do the same on, the, on different platforms? And that's simply because the algorithms are so different and so selective and, that's kind of just something you have to bite the bullet with. You're like, well, this is just the reality of it. And I can't control that, but I can keep posting things. Mm -hmm. So I batch content. Mm. I'll spend one day a week and I'll put five different shirts on and I'll make, you know, 10 different TikToks. And that doesn't mean that all of them make it onto TikTok. Some of them, I look back on them and I'm like, oh God. Don't make that face. Don't put that on the internet. Nobody needs to see you look like that or hear you say that thing. Um, I treat but, I treat TikTok like my garbage my garbage disposal. Like I just fucking do whatever the hell I want there. And I I, I am of the belief that TikTok will be <laughs> banned in the somewhere near future. Um, it just seems like an inevitability from like a political perspective. So I just okay, treat it like it is like a joke. I think I look at Instagram like my my professional resume to some degree. Like I'm very mindful of what I keep on my feed and what, what I archive and what stays and what doesn't. And, you know, from uh, I've, I've only just recently started utilizing YouTube and YouTube shorts, um, mostly with this podcast. Um, and, and to some degree, some photo stuff as well. But, you know, I think it's the thing that I wrestle most, most with, 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 which is my relationship with these social media apps, because at the end of the day, they can be great and genuinely wonderful business development tools. I've found a lot of clients there. I've collaborated with a lot of people off of DMS. And in that regard, it's great. Uh, to some degree, I think I forget a lot of times that those platforms are designed to for me as the product and they are not the product, right? Like using Instagram is 
they're making money off of me and I need to be mindful about how much time I spend on these apps, which I do a very, very poor job of doing. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, I am also very careful about what I post on Instagram because I don't want to post the best picture of my photo set to Instagram and have them steal that because anything that you can post on, anything that you post on Instagram becomes Instagram's property really? and they get to catch it from you. Even if you've got your copyright on it, they could easily take that picture and not credit you for something. Ooh, so did not know I that. give Instagram the good stuff. Hmm, interesting. I give Instagram just enough to get people to look at my website interesting. Um, yeah. and to reach out for something else or to, to send me a DM and then we'll move off of Instagram to a text message or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's a really interesting point. Number one, I didn't know that, but number two, that's where I was saying that community building is going to be crucial for the next phase and evolution of this stuff. Because if you can get people off of these apps and into your own content, whether it's email, website, YouTube, whatever places that are actually going to be revenue drivers for you as the artist, that's going to be uh, incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, now there are programs with with Instagram and with TikTok that when you post a reel, you can make like a certain amount of money if your reel gets so many views. And then, then you know, that becomes an incentive to use these social media platforms even more because then you're not just making money off of like people who want you to make content for them, but you're making money from the app itself. Mm -hmm. So as these things do develop, I do think that we'll have a more community centered view on, on social media because people will want to make money that way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it will inevitably encourage a community to be built. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I'm very hopeful and, and, and a little bit wary, but very hopeful um, that the long-term prospect of that coming to m multiple people, not just the ones that already have the following, uh, would be a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, yeah, I would hope so. I mean, I've been trying to make 2,000 followers on Instagram since, you know, I started having Instagram, which, yeah. again, when I was 13. Yeah, same, so it would same. be nice. I think I have, like, 20 more followers if people would follow me. <laughs> well, that being said, Maddie's Instagram will be linked in the bio below. Make sure to check her out and give her a follow. Um, Maddie, you are one of my favorite human beings on earth. I'm just so appreciative of your friendship, your art, um, your light, your love. You're just a, just a 10 out of 10 human being. I have a very cheesy line. Uh, if you've been on my podcast, you're part of my family. Uh, welcome. And thank you so much for uh, spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. I had so much fun. I love you, John. You know I love you. Hmm. I have film photos ready for you soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. Have a great rest of your day. I love you. Bye. Bye.